A warning. This episode features discussions of body image, eating disorders, sexual harassment, and racism. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Picture this. You're at work, minding your own business, when your boss walks up. They look you up and down, their eyes zero in on your hips as their lips purse into a thin line. Then they walk away. From the corner of the room, you see them whisper to someone else. You can't hear the words, but you can imagine them. Your hips are too big. From all angles, you feel a penetrating gaze. Everyone in the room, all of your coworkers, seem to be looking at you judgmentally. You fight tears as one of your colleagues walks up. They touch your face, your hair. Behind you, someone else fidgets with your waistband. Suddenly, the bodies fall away. You're left completely alone facing a crowd of colleagues, all of them eyeing you critically. The photographer raises his camera. And boom, it's over. You change your clothes and head back to the tiny apartment you share with seven other roommates. You swear not to eat dinner that night. You have to lose some weight if you want to keep your job. It doesn't feel right, but you tell yourself to suck it up. After all, you're the one who wanted to be a model. This is The Dark Side Of, a ParCast original. A show where we will delve into the seedy underbelly of pop culture icons and historical events. We aim to expose the ugly truth behind cultural moments and the public figures we hold most dear, proving that there is always more to the story than meets the eye. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of The Dark Side Of and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream The Dark Side Of for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type The Dark Side Of in the search bar. This season, we're digging into fashion, from its troubled origins all the way through the never-ending churn of fast fashion. Today, we'll be exploring the less-than-glamorous lives of fashion models. From low wages to body shaming, sexual assault, and racism, we'll uncover how this highly publicized industry is also one of the most backwards. We'll also discuss the ways that modeling is changing for the better, while examining some of the inherent conflicts of a profession based solely on looks. Coming up, the horrors of the modeling industry. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Modeling nowadays is like winning the lottery. Or at least that's how it seems. A model's Instagram feed is a highly curated experience. You'll see dewy skin, designer swag bags, and that pair of Saint Laurent jeans that aren't even for sale yet. Even their vacation in Greece looks better than the one you went on last summer. By the time you put your phone down, you could be steeped in jealousy, or at least the impression that a model's life is the modern day fairy tale. But it just might be the most backwards fantasy you've ever heard of. Unlike the bone-crushing corsets of bygone fashion and the Nazi sentiments of late designers like Hugo Boss and Coco Chanel, the modeling industry actually started out as something quite harmless. Feminist, even. Arguably, the first fashion model came to be in the 1850s, when English designer Charles Frederick Worth petitioned his wife, Marie-Augustine Vernet, to show off his clothes to customers. Other fashion houses around England followed suit, tossing out mannequins in favor of real, live models, of all shapes and sizes. Nearly a century passed before anyone thought to seriously commodify fashion models. Then, in 1946, Eileen Ford, wife of automobile tycoon Gerard Ford, co-founded one of the very first modeling agencies. Ford Models, and the stream of agencies that soon followed, offered a Rolodex of models for hire. It was a mutually beneficial idea. Agencies could profit from hiring out models, and models had insurance that they would get paid by their agency as soon as the job was over. Even today... Finding an agency is the first step for models seeking work. But while signing a deal with a prestigious agency might sound like a step towards security and income, it can be just the opposite. Modeling is often not worth the cost, literally. First, let's talk housing. If you're a model coming to live in New York or Paris for the first time, your agency will probably offer to put you up in one of their apartments. Sounds nice of them, right? Not really. Model apartments are notoriously overcrowded, with as many as seven, eight, or more young people living under the same roof. Most are still teenagers, far from home, hoping to become the industry's next fresh face. And they are actually paying to be there. Agencies often charge their model clients anywhere from around $1,300 to $1,800 per bed per month. Keep in mind, a small studio in a city like L.A. is about the same cost, or a nice apartment with just one or two roommates. So clearly, agencies make a profit. New, underage, and foreign models don't have much of a choice but to comply. Should they lose their modeling contract or be sent to work overseas, they don't want to be stuck with a lease on their own private apartment. 
models have to be available and unburdened at all times. Housing isn't the only way agencies make an extra buck. They notoriously bill models for hidden fees, including utilities, plane tickets, printing costs, and sometimes completely fake charges. Model Vanessa Perron remembers being billed for shipping costs for items sent to herself and other models. Not only was Perron expected to cover the fees for everyone, it came to light that the other models listed on the shipment were charged too. If this is true, it means the agency made an illegal profit on all of them. Peron also recalls a Harper Bazaar shoot where her agency promised the magazine would cover her flights. But when her paycheck came through, the price of airfare had already been deducted, meaning Peron suspected that her agency charged the magazine and her for her tickets. These shady stories are all too common in the modeling world. In 2019, an unnamed European model told BBC how her slick agency would, quote, ask me if I wanted a driver without being clear that this is very expensive and that I have to pay for it. These hidden costs are excruciating for the average model, considering that models don't actually make that much. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that most models in New York only earn an average of around $48,000 a year. That's about the wages of a hotel concierge in New York. Other models in the U.S. earn less than $37,000, equivalent to your average construction worker. Given the fashion industry's overall value of $2.5 trillion, these numbers seem suspiciously low especially when you consider that models are the face of their industry. And bear in mind, this income is all before taxes. Models are almost always classified as independent contractors, meaning they are expected to withhold their own taxes and pay their own health benefits. It's a completely unfair standard considering that these professionals are exclusive to their agencies. They can't just pick up supplemental work like most freelancers would do. Meanwhile, the average agency scoops about 10% of a model's paycheck. And in New York, the model capital of the world, most agencies are classified as management companies, meaning they can take 20% instead. All of this is made even worse by the fact that agencies often withhold information from models about how much a job is worth. In other words, they could be skimming off even more before handing a model their meager paycheck. That is, if the model gets paid at all. It's not uncommon for brands to offer non-cash compensation to models. And when faced with a choice between modeling work and free clothes, or no work at all, it's obvious which they choose. So the standard perpetuates itself. Meanwhile, your agency continues to skim their dues off whatever income you do receive while keeping tabs on what you owe them. According to these claims, one might argue agencies actually function like conspirators of indentured servitude. Models cycle further and further into debt just waiting for the day they can book enough gigs to pay their agency back. 
Even the most well-known fashion models have this story to tell. Today, Kelly Mittendorf is a mainstay on runways like Loewe and Marc Jacobs, but she recalls being five figures in debt before she finally started making money. Considering just how dependent models are on their agencies and how legally bound they are to their contracts, it would make sense for them to at least receive employee health benefits. Fortunately, there have been recent cries for reform, but progress is extremely slow. This problem has never been more apparent than during a global pandemic. In March of 2020, advocacy group The Model Alliance pulled a variety of models on the impact of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The results were sobering. One in five models revealed that they currently didn't have enough money to cover basic living expenses. Models of color, especially black models, were more likely to say they couldn't cover basic needs if they continued for three more months without work. And less than a third of all participants said their agency had offered any form of monetary relief or guidance. It's an especially bleak time to be a model. Unfortunately, normal non-pandemic circumstances are hardly less miserable. Up next, body shaming, eating disorders, and teen models. Hey, Parcasters. Looking for a more lighthearted listen? Then I've got the perfect podcast for you. The new Spotify original from Parcast called Incredible Feats. Hosted by comedian and podcaster Dan Cummins, Incredible Feats is a daily show spotlighting true accounts of mind-blowing physical strength, mental focus, and bizarre behavior. Join Dan every weekday as he goes behind the scenes and into the achievements of everyone from freedivers and body modifiers to ultramarathoners and moms. Incredible Feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird, sometimes wonderful, and always surprising. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Remember, from what history suggests, the modeling industry began as something with positive aspirations. It initially portrayed a variety of shapes and sizes and was a fresh avenue for women seeking a career and even fame. Throughout the 1950s and into the 70s, various models became household names. Marilyn Monroe, Susie Parker, Twiggy, Iman. Of course, most of these women were white, and a defined waistline definitely mattered. But their figures varied considerably compared to the decades of fashion models to come. By the 1980s, a new kind of model had taken over, the supermodel. These were the Cindy Crawfords, the Naomi Campbells, the Christy Brinkleys, huge celebrities in their own right, 
followed by paparazzi and invited to hot parties without lifting a finger in Hollywood. 80s supermodels were less demure than models of the past. For one, they smiled a lot in photos. And all of them were slender and toned, as though they did nothing but workout videos off the runway. With their sinewy physiques and confident faces, the message was clear. Look like this, and you will be happy. Of course, it was up to the individual consumer to shrug this off as a streamlined beauty standard meant to market products. But the message remained, and it became even more menacing throughout the 1990s with the advent of heroin chic. That emaciated style popularized by ultra-thin supermodel Kate Moss, alongside teen drug culture and the punk era. Fad diets were also on the up-and-up, and had been steadily since the 70s. American women were being prodded constantly towards slimmer silhouettes. You can only imagine how the models selling this concept were expected to maintain an even higher standard. You simply had to be extra skinny to be a model. From the 90s onward, rail thin was the standard. You need only glance at a runway today to see that this body type is still preferred. Despite plus-size modeling being one of the fastest-growing sectors of the industry, plus-size women still make up less than 1% of runway models. And there's something to be said for the almost total lack of bodies in between tiny and plus-sized, the sizes 6, 8, and 10. Fortunately, the retail industry in particular has expanded to portray a wider variety of figures. But even then, the messaging on what they are looking for is confusing at best. Plus-sized models have actually been criticized for losing weight, even made to wear fat suits. Meanwhile, ultra-thin models are often hired precisely because they can fit sample sizes only to have fat photoshopped onto their bodies later. In this way, their bodies provide the petite framework for idealized breasts, butts, and curves, features that typically require a bit of excess fat. Former Cosmopolitan UK editor Leah Hardy recalls, Thanks to retouching, our readers never saw the horrible, hungry downside of skinny. These underweight girls didn't look glamorous in the flesh, their skeletal bodies, dull, thinning hair, spots, and dark circles under their eyes were magicked away by technology, leaving only the allure of cultish limbs and Bambi eyes. So how does this mixed messaging affect the models themselves? Look no further than British supermodel Cara Delevingne. In 2011, this willowy blonde 18-year-old took the fall-winter runway by storm with her luscious, dark eyebrows. She almost single-handedly ushered in the 2010's eyebrow mania. Everyone and their mother wanted thick brows. But at the height of her career, Delavine wasn't happy. She was under so much pressure, in fact, that she developed psoriasis. She's since stated, it's a mental thing because if you hate yourself and your body and the way you look, it just gets worse and worse. Delavine isn't the only model to allude to underlying body image issues. 
countless professionals have voiced how their career, one that essentially glorifies the human figure, has instead caused problems with self-esteem. In March of 2018, Australian model Bridget Malcolm wrote on her website, It's hard to articulate just how awful the feeling is when you are on a set and everyone there hates the way you look. Malcolm remembered someone asking her to make her ribs show more during a photo shoot. Another wouldn't look her in the face, addressing her only to her stomach. And overall, Malcolm said that models with smaller measurements receive better treatment on set. Model Renee Peters can also attest to this preferential treatment. She recalls, The girls at castings that were getting selected were all very, very skinny. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself to be that girl. Unfortunately, this pressure manifested into anorexia and bulimia, eating disorders that plagued Peters for at least five years. It wasn't until the end of that period that she even realized she had a problem. Peters is far from alone. According to the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, at least 30 million people in the U.S. have suffered from an eating disorder at some point in their life. This statistic spans all ages, genders, and backgrounds. And considering that eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness, it's especially disturbing to think that one industry could perpetuate an even higher concentration of this disease. Unfortunately, that's the case. A recent study by Model Health Inquiry reports that as many as 40% of models may be suffering from some kind of eating disorder. That's almost one out of every two models working today. Many of them are like Peter's was, unaware that their food quirks and guilty thoughts are deeply problematic. And if it's that hard to come to terms with your own unrealistic expectations, imagine being surrounded by others with the same delusions. The fashion industry functions almost like an alternate universe, a place where certain body types are the norm, perpetuating more and more unhealthy bodies and bad advice. According to a poll by the Model Alliance, more than 62% of models had been asked by their agent or someone else in the industry to lose weight or change their size. Another 54% had been advised to lose weight or lose their jobs. And 9% had been advised to undergo plastic surgery. It's not just the agencies doling out such body-shaming advice. In May of 2017, model Ulrika Hoyer took to Instagram to reveal that a casting director at Louis Vuitton once instructed her to consume only water for 24 hours leading up to a show. Barely a day went by after these instructions and Hoyer received notice not to bother. They were cutting her from the show altogether. The message about her body could not have been more clear. Model Blanca Padilla chimes in, claiming that the so-called wrong measurements can be enough to get her sent home from casting in order to lose some weight. In other words, models in the ultra-thin category are expected to stay just that way, not an inch more, 
which can be especially problematic if you're, say, only 14 years old and going through puberty. It's a known fact that models are typically scouted when they are slender, fresh-faced teenagers. And teenagers, of course, are still growing. Not something most people consider a problem. Unless, of course, you work in fashion. Haley Clausen remembers her teen years with more than a little chagrin. She was a successful model. Then she hit puberty. Agents took one look at Clausen's body and told her that her modeling days might be over. To barely be old enough for college and hear that your career is almost done is devastating enough, let alone knowing that your body is to blame. Fortunately, Clausen persevered, finding jobs that would accept her the way she was, regardless what retouching was done later. Stella Duval is another model who remembers agents telling her 14-year-old self that she needed to slim her hips down. Duval says, I remember going into an agency and they said, you're beautiful, but you're a little pudgy here. More specifically, they advised her to go on a 700-calorie diet. That's less than the baseline calorie limit for survival for a 14-year-old. Luckily, Duval became one of the many models challenging fashion stereotypes with her fuller figure, or as some say, curvy. A term inherently fraught with expectations. It implies a proportionally small waistline is still necessary no matter what your size. In any case, the modeling industry struts onward, collecting new teenaged faces every year. And sometimes one has to ask how this is even appropriate. Model Kelly Mittendorf was just 16 when she joined the roster of iconic faces on the annual couture runway. But looking back, Mittendorf's entrance into the industry at such a young age makes her deeply uncomfortable. In a 2017 interview with the New York Times, she recalled being 16 and showing up to an S&M-inspired shoot. Mittendorf said, It was this table of whips and cuffs and various balls. They put me in these shoes that were your typical dominatrix-inspired pointy-toed stilettos. It's not exactly child pornography, but one can't help wondering why minors are ever cast in provocative fashion shoots. Youth is undeniably cherry-picked as a sleeker vehicle for mature themes. As Sarah Ziff, founder of Model Alliance, an advocacy group, points out, when we see a child representing the physical ideal of feminine beauty, we should ask ourselves what this represents. Children are not, for the most part, buying these clothes. At the very least, agencies should be more vigilant in vetting appropriate jobs for underage models. And fortunately, there have been some recent changes. In 2018, magazine giant Condé Nast instituted a global code of conduct stating that underage models would no longer be featured in their editorials. It's a step in the right direction, and advocates like Ziff hope to see the rest of the industry follow suit. But agencies, brands, and designers alike seem reluctant. Kaya Gerber, the daughter of 80s supermodel Cindy Crawford, made a huge splash when she walked the 2017 runways at age 16. 
Other teen models have risen to popularity the same way, bringing a sense of newness to fashion brands year after year. To put it bluntly, youth sells. About as much as sex, and often in tandem with it. When business relies on this template, it's hard to just give it up. A reality made all the more troubling by the dark history of sexual harassment that pervades the fashion industry. Up next, models discuss abuse and racism in the fashion industry. Now, back to the story. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. In March of 2015, 22-year-old Filipina-Italian model Ambra Batilana Gutierrez filed a disturbing police report. Film producer Harvey Weinstein had sexually assaulted her during what was supposed to be a professional meeting. On hearing Gutierrez's story, the New York Police Department was sympathetic. They even organized a sting operation where Gutierrez met with her abuser once more securing an on-tape admission of his crimes. Unfortunately, the story goes downhill. Just two weeks after Gutierrez's report, the New York District Attorney's Office issued a decision. They would not be pursuing her claims against Weinstein. In short, the DA's office refused to take Gutierrez and the tape evidence seriously. Instead, they picked apart her testimony. Meanwhile, Weinstein's camp hired private investigators, in Italy no less, to dig into Gutierrez's past. They attempted to frame her as a former sex worker and the beneficiary of sugar daddies. The only true thing they dug up about Gutierrez was the most obvious. She was a lingerie model. The so-called implications of this were clear. Models, especially lingerie models, have long been shaded as promiscuous by those who would like to interpret them as such. It was later revealed that Weinstein's attorneys had made suspicious donations to the current DA's re-election campaign, both before and after the decision not to pursue Gutierrez's report. 
A couple of weeks later, Gutierrez found herself signing a million-dollar settlement before Weinstein's fidgety attorney. To be clear, some victims of sexual assault do prefer quiet cash settlements. Because of the nature of their industry, they unfortunately need to consider the possibility of being blacklisted. Or, as we know is often the case in the exploitative modeling industry, they truly need the money. In Gutierrez's experience, both motivators applied. She was the sole supporter of her mother and brother overseas, and she was nervous about losing her career. But she actually wanted justice and had done her best to pursue it first. The settlement was her last and only choice. Sadly, Gutierrez's modeling career still suffered. As she later told The New Yorker, the only thing I did was exposing something bad that happened to me. My work depends on image, and my image was destroyed. As her career spiraled, she developed an eating disorder, and eventually the former Miss Italy flew back home. Most of us know what happened to Harvey Weinstein since. In 2017, multiple women, including Gutierrez, exposed decades of sexual abuse and cover-ups. And in May of 2020, Weinstein was sentenced to 23 years in prison for his crimes, a penalty many consider too light. Weinstein's fall from grace sparked the ongoing Me Too movement against sexual harassment and abuse. But his years of circumventing justice seem to be the rule, not the exception. There is an undeniable sexual overtone, a dark one over the modeling industry. Weinstein himself produced a Victoria's Secret fashion show in his heyday. So it makes sense that fashion shares the same convoluted roots as Hollywood, where women have historically been offered greater fame and success for sexual favors. Comedian Bill Cosby, who has been convicted of drugging and raping women, used multiple modeling agencies to track down his prey. He allegedly told agency owner Sue Charnay they should be from out of town and financially not doing well. Cosby would then take these models to dinner, chat up their parents if they were teenagers, and pretend to be invested in their career. Then he would pressure his victim for sex. Unfortunately, Cosby's behavior was part of the larger stigma against models. They're seen as people who can be taken advantage of. As such, they have experienced a myriad of abusive behaviors, many of them on the job. Take, for example, the most fundamental part of a model's work, the photo shoot. When it comes to being on set, Anything goes. Model Renee Peters recalls, I had one guy who wanted my nipples to look hard for a shoot. He literally just grabbed my nipple and was like, see, we need it to be hard. Kale Hassel has also shared her experience as a young model on set, accompanied by her mother. She says a photographer's assistant led her to an area where she could change into her next outfit. Then, instead of leaving Hassel alone, he proceeded to molest her all several feet away from her unsuspecting parent. The stories of abuse on set are too numerous to count. According to a survey by the Model Alliance, 
30% of female models have experienced inappropriate touching at work, and 28% have experienced jobs where they were pressured to have sex. Sexual misconduct ranges from lewd comments to photographers instructing models to strip naked, touch themselves, do demeaning sexual acts. And the list just gets more graphic and invasive. All while on a professional shoot. Many of these victims describe feelings of terror and confusion, not only towards their abusers, but to their agencies who have turned a blind eye. In 2017, an unnamed Australian model told Harper's Bazaar how her agency would book her jobs with photographers she later discovered were notorious for bad behavior. She said, My agents never warned me. They just said, This person's really important, so be sexy, dress well. To the agency, their model's safety came second to the money she could bring in. Fortunately, the Me Too movement has exposed a host of abusers, including legendary fashion photographers Patrick Dumarchelier, Terry Richardson, Mario Testino, and Bruce Weber. All of them have been blacklisted thanks to models who have raised their voices, demanding an industry-wide change. And it's not just female models speaking out. Male models have also attested to the likes of Testino and Weber making sexual comments and advances on set. In 2018, a 23-year-old male model told The Hub, When most people think about exploitation in the modeling industry, they think about young, extremely emaciated girls. But the reality is that men and women in the industry are for the most part treated equally badly. We are products and we are sexualized. It all comes back to commodification, a rampant theme in the fast-paced fashion industry. And when you have a broken system with predators, it's no wonder that it generates recurring toxic themes like body shaming, sexualization, assault, and unfortunately, racism. Take it from legendary British supermodel Naomi Campbell. For as long as non-white models have been part of the industry, they have been met by both passive and overt racism. Campbell was a mainstay in the 80s fashion circuit. Every designer wanted the top supermodels in the industry. But for some, they wanted every supermodel but her. It wasn't a big leap to chalk it up to the color of her skin. Over the years, this racist behavior has been admonished. Designers today know they will be taken to task if they don't have non-white models in their campaigns and on the runway. But it doesn't take a genius to see that often these brands are just trying to hit a quota. Supermodel Jordan Dunn claims she's been turned down at castings because they didn't want any more black girls. And model Chanel Iman chimes in saying, A few times I got excused by designers who told me, we already found one black girl. We don't need you anymore. Meaning, for those who do make the cut, they can't help feeling like they are victims of tokenism. A few black bodies. As indigenous Australian model Samantha Harris revealed to Elle Australia in 2019, I joke about it now, but there were shows where I'd feel like one of the token ethnics. 
There were two other girls, an Indian model and an Asian model, and we'd always get put together in one of the shows and laugh about being the ethnic ones. One would hope that for how much harder black and non-white models work to make it to a job or on stage, they would receive equal treatment. Alas, what they experience behind the scenes is anything but. Hair, in particular, is the recurring motif. Countless models of color, especially black, have noticed that stylists complain that their hair is difficult to work with. This reverberates back to their agencies, who offer unsolicited advice in favor of making the model's hair straighter or less prominent. It's this sort of racist and broken logic that indicates to non-white models that they must still conform to a larger standard, one where their bodies are not a first choice, where they are called in to save face for brands who might otherwise care less. Then there's the appalling tale of Amy Lefebvre. In February of 2020, she told the New York Post about her experience at a fashion show at the Fashion Institute of Technology one of New York's top design schools. Lefebvre says she was pressured to wear oversized prosthetic lips and monkey ears, accessories she found overtly racist. But when she and her dressers tried to communicate her discomfort to the show's producer, he screamed in frustration. Ultimately, other non-black models wore the accessories, while Lefebvre was changed into a costume she felt more comfortable with. She succinctly remarked, People of color are struggling too much in 2020 for the promoters not to have vetted and cleared accessories for the shows. In better news, the fall 2019 runways featured the highest percentage of non-white models ever, at approximately 40%. And a third of New York fashion shows featured a 50% or more representation of non-white professionals, an upswing from the previous 20% back in 2015. It collides with more recent movements seeking to ensure that non-white and people of color receive fair and equal treatment. All in all, the demand for racial equality is on the rise, along with transgender representation, body representation, models with disabilities, and overall diversity. This is largely due to the increased willingness of consumers to hold their favorite brands accountable and to listen to the experiences of fashion models. But it's a change that will most likely take time, time during which the same problems are still occurring on a frequent basis. In light of everything we've discussed, it can be hard to imagine why anyone would want to be a model in the first place. And for some, their answer is complicated. Models often have family or themselves to support. The fashion industry can seem like their most viable career, even a way out of poverty. Others truly enjoy modeling work, all pitfalls aside. It's their chance to engage with fashion, meet creative people, travel the world, and express themselves. For many, there is the chance at wealth and fame, made all the more possible by today's intersectional world of fashion, social media, and entertainment. Still, others argue there is no better time to be a model. It is the chance to affect change, to set new standards, 
and to hold an entire industry accountable from the inside out. Whether it's worth the personal risk, that's up to you. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll visit the set of the illustrious Victoria's Secret fashion show. We'll investigate just what has been going on behind the scenes and how reality TV culture set the perfect stage for it to thrive and ultimately flounder. You can find more episodes of The Dark Side Of for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. Just open the app and type The Dark Side Of in the search bar. We'll see you next time. The Dark Side Of was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of The Dark Side Of was written by Ali Wicker, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Listeners, you don't want to miss Incredible Feats, the all-new Spotify original from Parcast. Host Dan Cummins free-falls straight into the weirdest, wildest achievements of all time. New episodes air every weekday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.